What a guest we've got, Martin O'Neill. Hello, young man. Thanks you very right? much for coming. I'm, I'm actually a wee bit scared. You were my first manager. Everyone at the club was, was kind of scared of you. Were, you. were you aware of that back in the day? Uh, yeah, probably was. Yeah, I know. The, the most important thing was for me to, to scare the first team, the senior players, not the young lads. You yeah. But uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I think I was. Do you have that kind of hold over the full club? Well, I think that uh, w what happened in the, in the first place when Dermot Desmond gave me the job, Dermot being the major shareholder, he actually said to me, I want you to take ownership of the football club. By that he meant just like run the football club as he might have one of his uh, business managers doing, uh, doing something for him. And, uh, and that, uh, of course, that gave me great confidence that he wanted me to do that. Um, and really from, from, uh, from top to bottom, I wanted to be in charge. It was really as simple as that. And I think you feel, um, I think nowadays in the current game, some managers don't even sign the players. But you know, there wasn't a player at, at Celtic. I don't, I'm not talking about um, you being a kid and things that you see, that was really Tommy Burns as much as anything else. Yeah. But I'm talking about senior players coming into the football club. I, I wanted to sign them. Well, um, it was probably one of the most insignificant days in your tenure at the club, but I actually signed for Celtic and went into your office with mum and dad, with yeah. Tommy Burns. Yes, I remember that, yeah. absolutely. And the great thing about Tommy, Tommy was um, obviously a legendary figure as well too, but Tommy could go into any household, you know, and be able to coax the, uh, the mum and dad yeah, to, yeah. for the play if, if they're good enough to sign. So obviously you must have been good enough. Uh -huh. Well, I know how he done it because my dad actually fell out with my mum for flirting with Tommy. <laughs> I, think was, I think that was a secret. I think that was a secret. I think so. I want to ask you a couple. As I say, you were like a mythical guy sure. at the club. Everyone kind of there was even rumours about you. So I wanted to ask you about a few that I heard when I was younger. Okay, right. Uh, you used to go into the the club late at night to watch American football. Is that true? Um, if it was, yeah. Some sometimes it was on. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that uh, it was the very very latest match. But let's say some. Generally speaking, those those games were played on a Sunday, and. We, as you might remember, we had a lot of games. If Rangers were playing on the Saturday, we would be playing on the Sunday. And sometimes then, let's say it was a Sunday evening, and in those days, my early days then, Sky TV were covering Sunday games, and they would be six o'clock kickoff. So by the time that, uh, let's say we were travelling to, let's say Dundee, we were playing at Tannadice, for instance, which was my first game, uh, then uh, chances are by the time you get back again from Celtic, you still want to unwind, as it were, and the best thing to do to watch some American football. But yeah, I loved it and, and I still do. And uh, another one that used to go and watch court cases in the High Court in Glasgow, is that true? Uh, once or twice, I, I must admit, I did do. Yeah, I, um, I obviously enjoyed that part of it as well too. Um, but not probably not as many as people are making out to be, but yes, I did. Uh, right, we'll start at the start. So you weren't a Celtic fan growing up. You were a Sunderland fan, why was that? So what happened was this year, but where I was born in Northern Ireland, growing up as an Irish Catholic, the chances are you would be a Celtic supporter. And if you were a Protestant, you would be a Rangers supporter. So Celtic was very, very much ingrained in our family. Absolutely. You know, when I was a boarder at, um, at St. Columns College way back in 1967, we, we, all the boarders sat round to watch the European Cup final, the great, the great side of Jock Steens. Mm. So yeah, but again, growing up then, you would also have to pick an English team. Every, everyone picked an English team. And I think I was the only person who picked Sunderland as a supporter. And the reason being was that they had a big Irishman playing for them at centre-back called Charlie Hurley. And Charlie Hurley was my favourite player. 
But most of the time I was supporting Sunderland, they were actually in the second division. So uh, no wonder nobody else was supporting mm-hmm. them. And, um, and that was the reason. And strangely enough, or ironically enough, Charlie Hurley, just about 10 years ago, was voted player of the century by Sunderland fans. Isn't that really, you know, oh, yeah. so that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was a really big Sunderland fan, but to say that, you know, from, from where you uh, grew up and your background in Northern Ireland, then uh, you had to be a big Celtic fan as well. Too. You spoke about that European Cup final, obviously the Lisbon Lions at that time, the club were about a lot, you've seen a lot of the Lisbon Lions. How was your relationship with the, the type of well, guys? I, 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 honestly, my first, my first, um, um, what shall I say, my first meeting with any Lisbon line was Tommy Gemmell. Tommy Gemmell came to Nottingham Forest over 19, in my first year uh, at Nottingham Forest. Now, Tommy was probably past his best at that time. His great Celtic days were over. And, uh, but he came down to us in, uh, in 1971, scored a couple of really brilliant goals, but didn't stop Nottingham Forest from being relegated. So I would have had a conversation or two with Tommy. I remember once saying to him, Tommy, uh, that was a great goal you scored in the, uh, uh, in the European Cup final. And Tommy uh, retorted, he said, which one, son? Because I hadn't <laughs> realised he had also scored in 1970 as well too against Feyenoord. But um, no, that was been my first. Uh, uh, then I met Jimmy Johnson, believe it or not. Jimmy Johnson was playing in a reserve game for Sheffield United. You know, definitely at the end of his career, he picked up a bit of an injury. He came into the treatment room at, at uh, City Ground. I was watching the game from the stand and I just had to come down, sneak in and see Jimmy Johnson. You know, now, I, I, he, was, uh, he was being attended to by a couple of the Sheffield United, um, the doctor, or the physiotherapist. But just to sit in, didn't speak to him, just looked in and saw the great Jimmy Johnson sitting there in the treatment table. So fast forward then a couple of years later, uh, when I'm manager of Celtic, and and I just, I, do you know, there was a, I, I kind of got the feeling, I might be wrong about this, but I kind of got the feeling that that Celtic 67 side were almost like, almost forgotten about. That's forgotten about would be too strong a word, but you know, it felt as if they, they, they deserved their place back at Celtic Park yeah. again. And so really, I just wanted to, I had a, a night out with them, I invited them out for a meal one night, Fortunately, I had to pay, and um, so. But they were really terrific, you know. Talking about their stories, talking about the uh, the final in, in Lisbon f- when they won the cup, and then the, the you know their their um, besieged by everyone, and suddenly when Billy McNeil holds up the cup, there's no other Celtic player around, and I used to wonder for oh, where were they all the Celtic players? So they tell us the story that, um, that uh, Billy McNeil had to go right round the far side of the stadium, collect the cup, and, uh, and other players couldn't get there. You know, so, so many people were preventing them from doing so. So um, in that sort of chaos, it was, well, it was just, it was so funny and it was so brilliant to hear stories that I hadn't known about. But you could sense then, even with the banter going on, that they actually, you know, they had much respect for each other. Who was, was Betty all the funniest? And I remember him, you and him were quite I, close, uh, Bert, Absolutely. Bertie would have been the funniest. And Bertie would always wonder. I think that Bertie stopped people from having their own punchlines. You know, Bertie would move <laughs> in himself. As you know, that old would always do this. He wouldn't let the boys finish the story. He finished it for them, <laughs> even though he wasn't involved in the story, you know. So, uh, but old was, he was a funny guy. Absolutely. Last one, just because it's connected no to my problem. time at club as well. John Clark, what a, what a hero of a Absolutely. guy. Absolutely. Would you still banter about two European I'll, Cups, one European <clears throat> Cup? No, 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 no. I had so much respect for John Clark. Really good footballer. Very, 
you know, quiet but, but knew the game. And I, after matches were over, often, you know, John was, uh, John was the uh, kit man clean, cleaning up the things. After I had it, um, when the players would d disappear off to, let's say, the players' room or whatever the case may be, and I'm talking both home and away, I would, I would go in to see John, just talk about the game, just the two of us just sitting down there while he was putting some things together. Oh, Clarky was great, loved Clarky, really. Um, he was so self-effacing, never boasted at all about his, um, his own career. Uh, he was just magical character, genuinely, and uh, I, he, he was my favourite. Brilliant. Uh, you nearly had the opportunity to go to sell in your younger years. Jock's team came over at Northern Ireland. So, so what happened? Right, okay. So what happened? Jock sent over a scout, and um, I, so I, I, obviously he, he did because he, he, he told me some years later. I didn't play very well in the game, and, uh, and so the scout must have gone back and told him I was crap, you know. So, uh, but. Um, so fast forward again a number of years, <coughs> and I saw I saw Jock in in Northern Ireland. He was presenting some some prizes at the end of a football game, and I happened to be in the vicinity. So I came up I came up to see him, introduce myself. I was playing for Nottingham Forest at the time, and he was very gracious, very gracious. And I think I mentioned to him about the uh, I had uh, I know that Celtic scout come over, and but. In those days, Celtic would have been sending scouts all over the place. And whether he remembered or didn't remember, it's, it's really immaterial. The fact that I got to talk to him was, was good enough for me. Incredible. Incredible manager. Another incredible manager that you played under, Brian Clough. Mm -hmm. Was that a rocky relationship between you two? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it seemed to be, and I, and I must admit now, even looking back on it, 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 it was. I was um, probably craving for his approval all the time. You know, as a footballer, sometimes you know this yourself. Some manager that you step into doesn't doesn't really really fancy you to begin with, and you are striving so hard to uh, you know to turn the tables as it were to make that that manager because he's going to be picking you or leaving you out of the team, and you desperately are craving for that approval. So, but I wasn't the only one. All the younger players at Forest were 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 desperately seeking that uh, that that moment where he said, "Well done, son." You know. Brilliant, brilliant manager. There's no question that his record is there with, with, uh, with up with anyone. You know, winning the European Cup twice with a provincial club like Nottingham Forest. Incredible. Winning the league with Derby County as well. Being in the semi-final of the, of the uh, European Cup with Derby. His, his, his record is there. But it wasn't just his record. It was his, um, it was his, the way he talked to you as much as anything else. And he had, uh, he had, you know, you talked about, saying about me going into a dressing room when the players stay silent. Well, I'm telling you, you know, we, we listened to every word that he had to say. Have you got any most, any most memorable team talks or things that he said to you? I, no, I think it, no, he's, um, he, uh, no, his team talks would vary, but they were not long. They weren't long. He did not, he did not go on for 10 or 15 minutes, and I thought, you know, by the time someone that might have done that. And I, have, I do know managers who, who went on a long, long time and then has lost the, uh, has not only lost the, the, the thread of their own arguments, but has lost the players completely. You're, there's a, you, know, you, you know this yourself. You have a, there, there is a certain length of time in your mind that you can take things in. Don't give a don't give a player fifteen instructions before the game because he'll forget fourteen of them. Yeah. He won't honestly. But three instructions is maximum. And Clough, you know, for a complicated man, he was really he preached simplicity. 
but his you no know, his his team talks would vary. I must admit, he could dish out praise, he could uh, he could criticise, and also, but you had to take it. I'm not so sure now the current players would be able to take the sort of criticism that was meted out to to all of us at different stages, and not just by him, but by other managers as well. So it's it's one of those things you had to take it. And the reason I think you had to take it is because the players in my day had no power whatsoever, none whatsoever. The power was with the manager in the club, whether the manager was any good or not. He he dictated, and uh, and I've seen this as a big big change in the game. Now the players have too much power, yeah. and the difference is, when we were when we were playing, we should have had more power, and now the players should have less power. So would you That's never say anything back to Martin? Well, I'm, uh, yeah, I did do, but to, uh, obviously to my, uh, to, what shall I say? Um, well, let me put it this way. I shouldn't have done, all right? A number of occasions I shouldn't have done. In fact, remember John Robertson? John, yeah, 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 Robert, John who was my assistant, a great footballer at Nottingham Forest, really great. Used to sit beside me and uh, when Clough would start off on something and I would try and make some sort of answer. Um, I got this little tug from John as if to say, don't say anything, just leave it, just leave it. Unfortunately, at times I, I, I should have done, I should have listened to John and then trying to answer back, you get yourself into an absolute tiz because you're not going to win with him. You're not going to win with him. And if you argue too much, you know what? He's got the power to leave you out for the second half, you know? Yeah. So just, uh, unfortunately, I learned far too late. Not to, not, not to argue. So that's maybe the bad side, but is there any good side that shaped you as a manager that you, take, oh, you yeah, see I, yourself <clears throat> in Clough? Of course. I, yeah, I think, well, first of all, it's success for a start. It's really important. And I think if you are, I, again, I think that you will think this yourself, that you look at, you look at successful people, first of all, and, you've, and if you think, well, they're successful, then you start to analyse them a bit a bit more than the people who are less successful. I think you, I think that's just a natural thing, and then you start to think the things that that might have made someone successful. It might not necessarily work for you, but you can see you can see their 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 mode of thinking as much mm. as anything else. Now, don't try and be that person. Be genuinely be yourself, and I know that sounds so 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 hackneyed. It's untrue, but be yourself. You have your own thoughts in it. Yes, um, you know, you learn things from managers, both good and bad, but honestly, be your own character because eventually, if you're not, if you're trying to be something else, it will catch you out in the most inopportune moments when in that you'll fight, you will lose the plot and you will lose the dressing room. So what was the one thing that made him special then? Tactics, man management, have you spoke? Right. Well, you've named, you've named three there and I, I wouldn't disagree with any of them. Tactically, he was not known for that, but he was as astute as any manager I've known and, and, and any coach. He coached during the course of matches. He didn't go out in, the, he didn't go out in, a, in an afternoon and take the players out and have them out in a training session. He didn't. He coached during the games. But the interesting thing during the, the cut and thrust of big matches, you learn more. And if you've made mistakes in those games and he comes in and tells you about these mistakes, and not just tells you about them, emphasises these mistakes, I think you tend to learn that a wee bit more quickly than somebody telling you on a coaching field. That's my view. You mentioned the other things, charisma, you had it, you had it in, in... Bundles. Absolutely, absolutely. 
and uh, you mentioned the way he spoke. Yeah, I'm not saying he was a big wordsmith. He, uh, he didn't. He, he might not have had the same vocabulary as Terry Wogan or someone like that there. But at the end of the day, you knew. You knew exactly where you stood and, um, and what your job was supposed to be. Right, on to the Celtic job. Uh, prior to your appointment, it seemed pretty much that Gus, Gus I think, was the, the favourite for the Celtic job. Did you think yep. your chance had maybe gone? Was it something you were looking at fair distance? No, uh, no. <clears throat> what had happened, I was, um, it was the summer of, uh, of 2000. I was very happy at, uh, at, uh, at Leicester City, sorry. And uh, we had just won the League Cup. We were going to be playing in European football again. We'd finished for the fourth consecutive year in the top 10. And for Leicester City, that was, you know, we, we were doing really well. Obviously, uh, they've gone and won the the, uh, the Premier League in 2016, yeah. so that makes a that makes a difference. But up until then, we were the most successful side that Leicester had had. So, <clears throat> and I en I was enjoying myself really good. Then I get a call from Sir Alex Ferguson saying, "Listen, would you take a call from Dermot Desmond? What's this?" I uh, said, "Would you be interested in managing Celtic?" Of course, absolutely. He said, "Well, I've recommended you. I think I, Sir Alex had recommended three people to him, but Dermot chose me." And I hadn't, I hadn't realised uh, to much later that uh, that Gus Hiddink was very much uh, uh, in consideration for it. And I suppose if Dermot had decided to choose someone else, then I would have never had the privilege of managing the club. But thankfully, he took me. So did you just accept it straight? Did you accept it straight away after the first meeting with Dermot? Oh Desmond? yeah, but we had, uh, we had. A, uh, he came on the phone just after Sir Alex went off. Said to me, "Would you meet with the board?" on the Monday night, because that was a Sunday. I said, absolutely, so I met in London. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, for the first time, I think I must have done all right in the interview. I'm usually not so good in these. Yeah. And, um, but uh, yeah, so they uh, said, uh, would you manage the club? Yeah. So and, what, what was it that, that made you, that well, they, think, made that decision? Because <laughs> now if people would look at it coming for a Premier League club to sell, it doesn't really happen in this day and age. I know the Premier League's up, moved <clears> on massively, but you're at a Premier League club. Why, why, why okay, sell well, well, you've touched on it early, early on. First of all, my background for a start, yeah. you know? And um, uh, if I couldn't play for Celtic, then probably the second best thing is to try and manage it. So I think that, um, I think that, that that was a really big pull. I knew, well, I thought I knew everything about Celtic. Sometimes when, by the time you arrive there, it might be a different story. But really, it was, um, uh, it was a, a, you know, an enormous privilege. So I, I, I did want to manage Celtic Football Club. And, um, and of course, you know, template the set really with, uh, with um, Jock himself. But if you could get some success, and 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 Celtic, uh, I know they stopped ten in a row, but they're 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 you know they had some fallow days, hadn't they? Really, yeah. they've been really, really not so good. So I was hoping then that if I could get the things together, we could rest the, maybe the championship away from from uh, from Rangers. Maybe not first time of asking. I don't know because Rangers were really in strong. But you get back to the point about why Celtic absolutely wanted to do wanted to do it uh, and. Uh, because Celtic is, to me, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and uh, and if they were, if they were in the Premier League as they were talking about, it's not going to happen for in my lifetime anyway. But if in the Premier League, they and Rangers would be massive football clubs. Mm. Maybe not immediately, but in, in in a couple of years, 
they would be able to sell it. could go from 60,000 people to 80,000 overnight. No, no doubt at all about it. And when you agreed to take the job, I wanted to ask you about Lenny. He was obviously my manager after you'd left. Lenny then became my manager yeah, as well. Uh-huh. Was he always in your thinking of taking my yeah, <clears throat> Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Again, for Lenny's background, you know, Lenny was a big Celtic fan as well too, you know, from County Armagh. I had him, I'd taken him from uh, Crew Alexander to, um, to uh, Leicester City. He was fantastic for me at Leicester, really fantastic. And I knew that if, if I could get him up there, it would be just, it would just be, I, I, I think it would be just a, a match, just, it'd be something that he'd be needing. Now, I tried in the summertime when I became manager. <clears throat> it didn't materialize. I think the manager at Leicester at the time was Peter Taylor. He wanted to keep uh, Lenny. And, uh, and then suddenly out of, the, out of the blue, around about, end of November, beginning of December time of the same year, I get a call from Peter Taylor saying, well, listen, if you still want me, Lennon, do I still want Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Absolutely. And so up he comes. Do you remember the phone call telling him, sorry, do you remember the phone call saying to Lenny, you're coming up to Celtic? I, I, think that, I think that what had happened is that Peter Taylor had said to him, he said that I have phoned, I think this was the order of events. You know, I'm going yeah. back 20 years ago. Yeah. My memory might not be as good as mm-hmm. yours, young man. So um, I think the order of events was, <clears throat> obviously Peter would have told him that, um, that would he still have interest in going up to Celtic? I'm sure Lenny said yes. And, uh, and then I get the call from Peter Taylor. And then, he, uh, and then obviously we pass on. We have to still agree a fee at the time before I'd probably get really speaking to him properly. But uh, I think Lenny was, he was really, really keen to come up. And that's great. So in other words, his, you know, sometimes if, if it didn't happen immediately, sometimes players maybe might lose a bit of interest, but not, not, not Neil. And to me, uh, his signing around about, um, his first game was at Dundee. And, and we scored a late goal. Didier Agat scored a late goal. Big, big win for us. I'm sure Lenny thought, geez, this is, this is a wee bit more difficult than he might have thought. Yeah. Hard, hard games. 
but he, he soon settled down and uh, he was uh, he was a big player for us. Really Talking about player. you first coming to club that, that first day with the other fans outside outside the stadium. Mm. Do you get that at other clubs? Obviously, you've managed a number of clubs. Do <coughs> you get that sort of reception anywhere else? Well, I th I think that um, uh, you know. Uh, it's most of the clubs you're kind of really well received, but Celtic fans. I think that I think that night coming um, uh, where they were gathered outside, and uh, you know, and I think that um, uh, one of the board members said, hey, "Listen, they're not going to disperse until you go out and say something to them." You know, so and all I could say was that I'd do my utmost to uh, to try and bring some success to the club. But that was yeah, uh, really a big moment because I think then. First of all, that day, and then about a, a, a couple of months later, when I went to I went to a Celtic Supporters Club meeting in Perth, in Perth up near, obviously for St Johnston, mm. and uh, I went that night, and those two, obviously we had played Rangers in the meantime, but I think that night at Perth I realised what Celtic Football Club meant to Celtic supporters. It's their life, and really. And it became rather daunting in many aspects because you felt as if, you know, that their life, you, you know, your results, you know, can shape their lives, yeah. even if for the weekend, you know. And honestly, it was, uh, I, I think after Perth, I think it was more, more harrowing than anything uh -huh. else. You know, you feel, gosh almighty, because that night, if I, let's say there was about 150 people at, the, at, the, at their particular function, I'm telling you, at least 130 had season tickets. So it was incredible, yeah. really, honestly. And John Robertson came with me that night. We both, when we left, we were playing the next day. And, um, and so going back to the hotel where the team were staying, we thought, my word, you know. Incredible. I, absolutely. If you'd known that, I'm, I might have stayed in the Midlands, you know. <laughs> uh, talking to John Robertson, how important was he to you? I mean, he used to join in training, didn't he? He was still incredible. <clears throat> he could Steve Walford as well. Absolutely. John was still, still a, a, a really fine player. My excuse was that my knee was really bad. So some of the players, um, and it was bad because I'd never got my cruciate ever fixed. And therefore I sometimes had to wear one of those big braces when I did join in. But I think the players must have thought, I don't think he's ever played the game. You know? <laughs> but uh, in terms of John playing, John, John, <clears throat> John was excellent, still shouting for the ball. Really, I'm really yeah, getting, yeah, remonstrating with some of the players as well too for not passing yeah. it to him, it was really great. And then, um, and then you had the complete opposite with uh, Lubo Moravchik. Lubo used to play at the back, sit at the back, just, you know. Stroke it a bit. Stroke it about, absolutely. But, you know, never came alive in the training, just thought that's it. Did that bother you, Martin? No, do you know what? <clears throat> it never bothers you when you know what players can do on the pitch. And my early, my early, um, uh, what shall I say, uh, dealings with Lubo, when I told Lubo he needed to run around a bit on the ways, you know, and uh, Lubo looked at me as if to say, no, just just get me the ball, I can deal with the ball. And <clears throat> But once you know players then, and you know their little foibles and you know what they what makes players tick, you know, it, you know, honestly, the training sessions, you want them to be fine, but you will forgive some players because you know that the following day, they're going to be at it. They're Remember the day he controlled it with Backside. I wasn't there. That oh, I, yeah. I wasn't the manager at the time, but I've heard about it. Absolutely, yeah. just brilliant, brilliant. And uh, my memory of Rob, uh, John Robertson is always down the tunnel. <coughs> John down the tunnel. the tunnel. Yeah, I'll tell you a story, John. When we were Aston Villa together, um, uh, we were playing. We were playing Chelsea in this game, 
and there's a little area just uh, it must be down the tunnel I'm not exa exactly sure since I'm a non-smoker myself but there must be a little area down where you actually were able to have a, a, a fag at the time and John John of course used to get nervous before the matches and uh, so the players are out warming up or whatever it is and John's in a little corner he tells me the story because I didn't know this at the time and we are playing Chelsea and I'll tell you who the manager was in a second the next thing you know John's having the cigarette and uh, he gets a tap on the shoulder and he said and it was uh, uh, he said can I join you and it was Ancelotti wow. Ancelotti wants to join him for a cigarette you know he was the manager at Chelsea yeah. at the time so uh, fascinating really I wasn't there I only have John's word for it but oh, it did okay, Right. Uh, just talking to the Celtic squad when you first took over, what were your first impressions of them? Uh, not fantastic, uh -huh. I must admit. Yeah, no, no, not, not, not really great. Uh, a few problems, really. Um, I could see maybe, and sometimes it's unfair to make judgments so quickly, and I try not to do that. But, uh, but if you've got very little time to work with a the team, then, so, yeah, then that's the time that training sessions are really important. You know, when you first come into a football club, you want to have the players at it all the time. And our, our first couple of matches, <coughs> particularly one in, when we were in Leipzig against, and it was not Leipzig of nowadays, you know, a Bundesliga side. I think they were in the third division, mm. but they give us a mauling. And I thought this was going to be a long, hard season, you know. We were just not up to it. And I can understand, really, and I know it was only pre-season, and I know they're friendly matches, but you could see why Rangers had uh, demolished Celtic the previous year, because you felt as if you, 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 need, you, you need a lot of things. You, we might need some extra players for a start, which I knew about. And, uh, and you also needed, you needed to instill a lot of desire and heart into the team. Some players, some of the older players who are brilliant professionals, and Tommy Boyd, you know, was, uh, was one of them. And I used to ask Tommy, I mean, what had happened? He said, well, of the previous year. And he said, well, you know, we got behind early, lost confidence and really couldn't cope. So those, I, and I, I kept thinking about that during the, during the time. And I thought, well, let's not try and fall, fall behind too yeah. early. And as it turns out, we were able to win early matches. Um, so by the time that we got to play in this big 6-2 victory, we'd actually won our matches beforehand and, and won brilliantly in the previous week at, um, at, um, at Hearts, you know. So uh, that was really important for us, you know. And so we, uh, you're never sure that you're ready for Rangers, particularly because I thought they were very strong. But that day, everything just went in... in went with us. I just wanted to ask you about one player who was there still under contract, Matt Viduka. Yeah, Did you well, want to keep <clears throat> I wanted to keep Matt. Yeah, absolutely. But the amazing thing about it, if Mark Viduka had wanted to stay at the football club, chances are Chris Sutton would never have appeared. You know, Good it point. wouldn't have yeah, happened. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Viduka's a very, very fine player. I wanted him to stay at the club, of course, because you feel as if he's a, he's a natural footballer, a really good goal scorer. But he had no interest in staying at, at Celtic at the time. Did you try and convince him, Martin? I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I made a phone call to him. He was actually in Australia at the time, you know. And I said, uh, basically said, that should you not be here? Oh, I'm not coming back to Celtic. And it's almost as if he was dictating things when in actual fact he probably should have been. I think that's when I jokingly said, uh, where are you phoning from? He said, from Melbourne. I said, I assume you'll not be training tomorrow morning with us. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, um, Mark, I, I did then say to Mark, that's fine. Okay, if you want to go, that's okay. I said, there's an offer. There was a uh, two six million pounds offer for him. There was one from uh, Leeds United and there was one from uh, a Spanish team. 
I, I just uh, honestly, just at this minute. So he had a choice. <coughs> Didn't matter where he was going to go. Uh, he went to Leeds, did really super fo footballer. But in all honesty, I turned the money over for Chris Sutton, who was, and I, I probably don't give him enough credit in the book. Mm. Um, maybe because um, uh, maybe I was nearly going to say he didn't deserve it. He does. He was a landscape changer for us because he hit it off immediately with Henrik Larsson. If Chris hadn't come immediately to the football club, let's say he'd gone maybe six, seven, eight games before we got him, we might not have won those early matches. And Sutton's, Sutton's performances for us, although I don't like to tell him, mm. you know, because he's got a big enough head as it is. Yeah. Uh, but played he, everywhere for you, didn't he? Remember he, he could play centre everywhere. Mid centre back. The second year when we signed John Hartson, I signed John primarily because uh, if Henrik or Chris got injured for any, in any given time, we wouldn't have had enough firepower. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so John, John signs for the football club. Said John, it's up to you to break this partnership up. You know, you. It's, and I knew that Chris could play in, as you say, in a number of positions. But Sutton, Sutton was genuinely a landscape changer for us. His relationship both on and off the field with Henrik was really crucial. How did you find his personality? Because with us as kids, he was he was ruthless, but in a funny way. So I, he would tell us if you're working in the Royal Mail, Nick, with a hand in the, the mail, he'd say, you better get used to this because you'll be working in the Royal Mail is, now. That, <laughs> that's him. That is Sutton. He's never changed. Did he be the same with you? Not, not with no, me. Yeah, yeah. No, not with me, but with the rest of the players. Absolutely. He was exactly that. He would be the very first one. If you'd spot something, did you say when they're handing out the mail? Is that what he said? He used to say to your young boys, you better get used to this because you'll be working as a postman next year. Absolutely. That, that is solid. Absolutely. He did say once he would never go into punditry. You'd never catch him in punditry. Now he's on every, every station yeah. imaginable. But um, no, overall, he was, um, he was brilliant. He was very dry. He was very witty, uh, but uh, no, he di he didn't he didn't say too much to me in the dressing room. I must admit. What would you, did you, would you have a would you have a personal relationship with Sutton? Would it, would it be similar to yours with, with Clough? Maybe a love hate. Do you know? Relationship? Do you know what I, I I had? I think with the players. I think I I. And listen, I think I had a personal relationship with all the players in an impersonal way. So I'm going to explain that to you. I let John and John and Steve, John and Steve, John John Robertson, Steve Walford yeah. get really close to the players. That's important for them, you know, and for the players to trust John and Steve. So I used to say to them, John, unless something really, really serious has happened with the players, don't let me know. Don't really. So the players got a real trust in in the lads, and John and Steve, you know, didn't they? They, they weren't reporting back every two minutes, oh, by the way, he didn't do this or didn't do that or something, I guess, here. And so the, when the players really got to trust them, I thought it was good. I, it's not to say that I stayed aloof from players. I, I didn't. But I didn't mind that little distance that we were. Mm. John and Steve could cover that for me. And then I would be, it would be important for me then to be the, the manager of the team. And I think it really did work well. But John, Steve and myself were so, so tight together that it was a uh, uh, really, really good relationship. But getting back to, yeah, getting back to um, uh, whether you had a personal relationship with them, yes, I got to know them. I was, uh, I could uh, have uh, a joke with them in the dressing room as much as anybody else. But you just felt that when the serious business came round, those players were ready for it. Uh, just on, uh, uh, as you spoke about the 6-2 six, six game, uh, had you ever been to a Celtic Rangers game before that? No, no, I'd never been to it. You know, so the first experience really was exactly that. 
and we were 3-0 up in 11 minutes. And you know what? Honestly, I, I, all right, if somebody told me we we're going to win 6-2, I would have enjoyed the rest of the game. But if, the, if somebody told me that the referee is going to blow the final whistle in the 12th minute, I would have taken it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I would have taken it. It was one of those days that just everything was working for us when you felt that Rangers were going to get back into the game. So, and there was, a, there was two, two big moments in the match. One just before half time, when they had a goal ruled off for offside. And then a few minutes into the second half, where Larson scores that brilliant goal, Sutton lays it off to him tips it over there and then uh, and puts it over across his head. It was just fantastic, really. But if I tell you, uh, and I'm, I might be exaggerating slightly, but not that much, that when, when Sutton scored the sixth goal with about two minutes to go, it was the first time I breathed a sigh of relief. I thought, we'll win now. Well, yeah, we'll yeah. win now. So that was it. And you know what I think it did just in, just in a moment? <clears throat> Obviously, a lot of, a lot of Celtic fans um, Say that that was a, like a big turning turning point in the in the in, in Celtic's next number of years, and you know what? The more I think about it, it probably was. I'm not saying that moment I thought it was a, a turning point, but where it did do, it gave us confidence to go on. And even though we got well beaten by Rangers the next time in November time, where they were just far too strong for us, I felt that we had enough confidence about ourselves that we could pick ourselves up from that defeat. And, and, and strive on, and yeah. that's exactly what we did. Just on Larson, how, how, how soon into your appointment, your tenure, sorry, did you realise how, how good he was? I would say about a minute and a half. What, you know, first time you've seen him turn? No, he's top top quality player. First of all, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was away with, the, uh, away with Sweden in the Euros, so he did, I didn't see him immediately for a start. Secondly, he was just recovering, still trying to recover with a with broken leg. And really, <clears throat> the Swedish games that he was playing in there were just, you know, like a, like, um, almost like a rehearsal for, for me, for him coming into us. But he scores, he scores our opening goal at Tanadice in, the, I think, the 37th minute where he bends it left foot into the net and you just, you knew you had a player. Yeah. No, did I think he was as, as good as that there early on? I, I, that would be almost ridiculous of me to think that there. But the more, the more that I was able to give him in terms of service, like Alan Thompson coming to the football club, Didier Gatt, Chris Sutton, and building a decent side, then you could see that Larson had all of these, all of these things and more. Yeah, uh, just uh, you want to treble. How, yeah. how does somebody like Martin? You, uh, I don't, I've never heard you speak about this side. Thing. How, how would you celebrate a treble? Well, that you know, we we had um, I, by first of all, the most important thing was that the was the League Cup. Actually, you know, to start it off with, and we beat Kilmarnock in the, in the, in the final. So that's one trophy in the board, and at least then it's, it's still there in the season, and you can park it. You park that off to the side, start really concentrating now in the league and the and the Scottish Cup. There was a period in the in the Scottish Cup where we were getting so far in front of Rangers that they were they were they were slipping away. So suddenly you felt. Well, I know we won the league against St Mirren, but we could have won it maybe the next week or the week after that. We're definitely going to win the league and therefore absolute and utter concentration into the Scottish Cup semi-final and final. So the only time we ever thought about a treble was when the referee blew that whistle, you know, against uh, Hibs and we'd done it. And that was just fantastic. And I must admit, I hadn't realised and it didn't, didn't realise it for maybe 
maybe that evening afterwards, it was the first time they'd been won since the immortal Jock Steen in 1969. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. They really didn't know that. And what, would you celebrate as a squad? Would you, would you have a glass of red wine? Absolutely, yeah. The, the, yeah, we, we, uh, we went down to a, a, a place that night and, and, and did celebrate, absolutely. Really important. And, um, and then eventually, you know, as, as the players spread, uh, you know, take off in their own directions, you know, with their own families and stuff like this here, then we're, we're kind of left, John, myself and Steve and uh, big Jim Henry as well to our, our, big our fitness, fitness coach. coach yeah, yeah. We're all left to, uh, to our own devices. And we think, yeah, okay, that was nice. You know, let's, let's enjoy summer and let's start again next season. Have you, have you had to sum up your, your time at like what would, you, what would your words be? I, I absolutely loved it. Really loved it. It was a, I, I mean, this sounds rather sycophantic, but it's not meant to be. Real privilege to manage the football club. Obviously, you need to win. You know, it wouldn't, uh, it still have been a privilege to manage the football club, but if you don't, if you don't win the football matches, you know. So, really great time. Uh, my family had a fantastic time. They've loved it. My, I have a daughter now who probably loves Celtic even more now than maybe she did when I was managing, which is kind of crazy. Um, and yeah, absolutely. We had a, a time of our lives, my wife and I, at there. Big disappointment, obviously, losing the, um, the uh, UEFA Cup final, then losing to Motherwell. Those things still, still haunt me as well. But you, you've just mentioned the treble. You've mentioned those days in Europe where uh, we could easily have, you know, for instance, uh, Porto beat us in the final. They go on to win the Champions League with virtually the same team the next year. We really should have won that game that, that day, and that's, that's massively disappointing. But if you're talking about a real privilege, and you know what? It's interesting to hear people talking about Seville and the great time that they had in Seville and the journey there. And I don't think they just meant the journey to Seville in, in the sense, I think they meant, you know, Blackburn Rovers, Liverpool, all of, you know, the, 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 the games along the way uh, where we were really fighting for, the, for Scottish football, yeah. you know, against, uh, against the English teams. But overall, it was fantastic. Uh, and uh, honestly, as I said to you, my wife and I had the time of our lives here. And uh, and Glasgow still remains her favourite place. See, uh, just on the UEFA Cup final, is that your biggest disappointment in football? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. How was yeah. how was Mourinho? Were you angry with Mourinho after? Well, I was angry with everyone. You know, yeah. I was angry with the referee. I didn't don't think he dealt with it. I was angry with the Porto players who went down at every given minute. You know, angry with them when they scored a goal. I think they went back to Porto to celebrate. You know, it did about twenty five minutes before <laughs> the game kicked off again, and they were actually they know. And the funny, the funny thing about their play acting, they didn't really have to do that. They were actually super players, you know. Yeah. But it was, if you just look at the last three or four minutes of the game, which I'd hate to look back when their goalkeeper goes down injured and he, he stays down for about four minutes. Referees, the referees too, too inexperienced, can't deal with it, really can't deal with it. And it was a monumental disappointment. So it's, and, and sometimes it gets even, you feel even worse when, when, uh, when, a lot of supporters say it was the time of their lives. Seville was great. So Seville has talked about, you know, almost as if we had won. Yeah, yeah. And we, had, and we didn't. Plenty of other incredible achievements. Martin, yeah. thanks very much. It's a pleasure, Ian. Nice Cheers, to see man. you. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay.